0: So good to be with you, church. After concluding our Boomtown series, we're going to be back in the book of Matthew today. For those of you that are still thinking about, praying about, perhaps you've forgotten about the next step that God's calling you to do, um, in light of what we talked about in our series, we ask you to do that. We're going to be back in the book of Matthew today. We're in the final stretch of this gospel And the text that we're going to be in today, over the years, has become one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. It's the story of Mary of Bethany's anointing of Jesus. I had the privilege of preaching on it um, more than eight years ago now, when we were going through the book of Mark. Doesn't that sound crazy? We went through the book of Mark eight years ago. And I get the privilege once again here in the Gospel of Matthew. It's a story that reminds me of a song that our very own Aaron Ivy and Brett Land wrote. It's called, Jesus is Better. We sing it all the time, but let me just sing the bridge for you to remind you. Just kidding. Um, actually, growing up in the Korean church, my, where my dad was a pastor, he would often break out into singing in the midst of his sermons, but I didn't inherit that level of talent nor bravery, so I'll just read it for you. It says this, In all my sorrows, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. In every victory, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Than any comfort, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. More than all riches, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. These lines, they're so powerful and they resonate so deeply. Why? Because this world is filled with sorrows, isn't it? This world is filled with sorrows. Perhaps many of you have experienced this sorrow, more of a sense of loss, more of a sense of sadness this season than ever before. And what do we so desperately need when we experience more sorrow than ever before? We need to also experience Jesus in ways that we never have before. That's the only way we'll make it through. If we're able to see and experience Jesus to be better, even in the midst of sorrow, for us to see and experience that Jesus is better than all our sorrows. Or some of us need to see that Jesus is better than our victories. Maybe for some of you, this last season wasn't about sorrow. It wasn't about loss. It was about victories. Maybe you've been thriving. You've been chasing the victory of success and you've gotten more of it this last season than ever before. But as you've sacrificed and spent your life achieving and accomplishing, you can't help but to wonder is this it? Is this all there is to life? There's a lingering question in your soul as you go to bed exhausted every night. Is this it? Is this what my life is about? Well, why do you feel that way? Because the Bible says that God has put eternity in your hearts. God didn't design your heart to experience full satisfaction by achieving promotions, by attaining a comfortable lifestyle for you and your family, or by increasing savings and securities and riches in this life. Instead, He's created you to be lastingly happy and fully satisfied Only in Jesus. Only in knowing Jesus and experiencing Jesus to be better than anything that this world has to offer. But the trouble for us is, isn't it so hard to believe that Jesus is better sometimes? Isn't it so hard to believe that He's better? We struggle with believing that Jesus is actually better than all the things that are so shiny and bright and new in this world. And so I love the next line. It says, make my heart believe. Make my heart believe. God, I know Jesus is better, but I'm not believing it right now. And so will you do whatever it takes in my life for me to believe that Jesus is better? God, will you do this? Because in so many ways, it all boils down to this one question for the believer. Do I believe Jesus is better? Do I believe He's better? When well, looking at all these things in this world, all of its promises, all of its hopes, am I looking to Jesus and saying He's better? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26 today. In Matthew chapter 26, we're, we're, we're told the story of Mary of Bethany. We're going to see her do something very costly for Jesus. We're going to see Mary take the very best of all that she has And the very best of all that she is, and we're going to see her surrender it all to Jesus. And we're going to see that the reason why she was able to offer Jesus that kind of worship was because she believed. She believed that Jesus was better. So as we look at this text today, let's ask three questions. First, what did Mary do? Second, why did Mary do it? Third, how was Mary able to do it? First, what did Mary do? Why did Mary do it? How was she able to do it? Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, He said to His disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, And plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So we're entering into the last week of Jesus' life here, and everyone is plotting to kill Jesus. We see here in verses three and four that the chief priests and the elders of the people are plotting to kill Jesus. And then what we're going to see next week in verse 14 is we're going to talk about how Judas was plotting to betray Jesus. And so both the outsiders and the insider are trying to kill Jesus. But in between and in front of this backdrop of darkness, we have this diamond of a story. Matthew has placed her story in between these two other stories of darkness to show you the beauty of her story and what she's doing. Verse 6, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to Him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on His head as He reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Well, first of all, let's set the scene. If you read the gospel writers together, This story also being recorded in John chapter 12 and Mark chapter 14. John tells us that this is Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, the one that Jesus raised from the dead, remember? And what's happening here is that a thank you dinner is being thrown for Jesus because he raised Lazarus from the dead, as you should, right? If somebody raises your brother from the dead, you should throw them a thank you party. It's being hosted by Simon the leper at his home, presumably also healed by Jesus. We know he's not a leper anymore because if he were a leper, he's, he would be quarantined, declared unclean, not throwing dinner parties, right? So we also know that Jesus' disciples are there, and so it's a dinner party of about 20 or so people. So people are chatting it up, having a good old time. Martha's in the kitchen working hard like always, cooking up her best fried chicken for Jesus. And Peter, he sees Simon And Peter's like, hey, Simon, you're not in quarantine anymore. Hey, Simon, remember when your skin was falling off? Yeah, that was awesome, right? And Simon's like, hey, Lazarus, you're not dead anymore. Hey, Lazarus, remember the time when you were dead? Yeah, that was awesome too, right? Can you imagine being at this party? Think about the kind of questions we would have for Lazarus. Lazarus, what's it like to be dead, right? Was it a bummer? Is it a bummer that you have to do it again? What was heaven like, Lazarus? And Lazarus like, yeah, I was there, and it was incredible. And Michael the archangel, he came up to me, and he was like, you know, your sister Mary's crying, and your sister Martha's crying, and now Jesus is crying. Yeah, you got to go back, right? <laughs> and so everything is going great, and then all of a sudden, Mary is going to do something that will cause the whole party to come to a screeching halt. Have you ever been to a party like that? Everything is going great, and then somebody causes a huge scene. Well, what did Mary do? Mary comes in with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, Matthew tells us. And she broke the flask and poured this very expensive ointment on Jesus' head. And the disciples, when they see this, it says they are indignant. It says they all start scolding her. They were yelling at her. What in the world, Mary? What in the beep, beep? Are you doing, Mary? It's that kind of anger in the Greek. Indignant. Why did everyone respond like this? Because Mark tells us in his Gospel that this alabaster full of this ointment of pure nard was worth more than 300 denarii, which is about a 300 days wage, which I looked up for the average Austinite is about $85,000. Lots of rich austenites. Listen, in- inflation must be real because first time when I preached this message more than eight years ago, I looked it up, average 300 days wage for an au- average Austenite, guess what it was? $45,000. $45,000. So now $85,000, if we wait next week, it'll be $100,000 even. Um, <laughs> don't just think about how long it would take to make this kind of money. Think about how long it would take to save this kind of money. $85,000. What could you do with that? $85,000 spent in one, in one lavish gesture of love. Something like this was almost certainly an heirloom passed down from one generation to another. It would essentially present the financial security for that family so that if something terrible were to happen, if war were to break out, if famine were to strike, and you had absolutely no money, you had this alabaster flask that you could turn to. You could turn to it. And what does Mary do with such a valuable possession? Well, she broke it. She broke it and she pours it out on Jesus' head and feet. In one extravagant display of love, Mary is saying, Jesus, this was the most precious thing that I had. She's saying, this is the most valuable thing that I possess, and I give it to you. As she broke the alabaster flag, she's saying, Jesus, this was my hope. She's saying, This was my security. This was what calmed my fears when I would stay awake afraid. But now, Jesus, you're my security. You're my hope. You calm my fears. In other words, what is she saying? She's saying, Jesus, you are better. She's saying, Jesus, you are better. Church, what's your alabaster flask? What's your most precious? Your most valuable? What's the thing in your life that if it were taken away from you, you would lose all sense of security, all sense of safety? What's the thing that you possess that calms your fears? Is it your bank account? Man, if something crazy were to go down, at least I have that. What's your, at least I have that? Is it your job? Is it some talent or skill you possess? Is it some relationship? Is it your children? Is it your spouse? Is it your boyfriend, girlfriend? And do you sense Jesus calling you to surrender it all to Him? To surrender it all. Well, you'll never be able to unless you see what Mary saw. Unless you see that Jesus is better. And everyone is scolding Mary. They're yelling at her. What in the world are you doing, Mary? Do you know what we could have done with $85,000? Pastor and theologian Derek Thomas said, all everyone could see was the perfume. But all Mary could see was Jesus. All Mary could see was the perfume, the value of, of it, the worth of it. But all Mary could see was Jesus, the value of Jesus, the worth of Jesus. When's the last time that it could be said of you that all you can see was Jesus? Your family and your friends, they say, man, so-and-so, all they could see is Jesus right now. When's the last time that all you could see was Jesus, His value, His worth, And so you did something for Jesus that was so lavish, so extravagant that everyone thought you were an absolute fool for doing it. But Mary doesn't stop there. What else do we see Mary doing? John tells us in his gospel that she bent down and she poured the ointment on Jesus' feet and started wiping his feet with her hair. What is she doing here? Paul tells us that a woman's hair is her glory. In this ancient Near East culture, it was exactly that. The hair of a woman was to be bound up, and she would only let it down for her husband to see. She would only let it down in the privacy and the comfort of her own home. As Mary offers Jesus the alabaster flask, she's saying, Jesus, I'll give you everything that I have. But as she offers Jesus her hair, she's saying, Jesus... I'll give you everything that I am. Many of us have given Jesus lots of things, but we've yet to offer him our very self. And there's a difference. What Mary did for Jesus was not only fiscally irresponsible, but it was physically scandalous. She was breaking all social norms and etiquette, but she couldn't give a rip about social etiquette and what others thought, what others would say, because all she could see was Jesus. As she was wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, she was saying, I lay my glory down at your feet. My glory is only worthy to clean your feet, Jesus. Jesus. She's displaying incredible humility here, isn't she? But what else is she doing? She's displaying absolute confidence. She's saying, Jesus, I'm going to let my hair down. Why? Because, Jesus, I'm at home. I'm going to let my hair down, Jesus, because you are home to me. Have you ever experienced Jesus in this way? Someone, because of who he is, you must give him your everything. But at the same time, someone, because of what he has done for you, you want to give him your everything. Have you ever been there? Have you ever seen Jesus to be this way? So what did Mary do? She saw Jesus. And she offered Jesus her everything. Everything that she had and everything that she is. The next question is, why did she do it? Why did she do it? Why did she pour out worth of ointment of pure nard on Jesus. Why did she bow down and wipe his feet with her hair? Verse 10. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. So why did she do it? Jesus says she did it to prepare Him for burial. So Mary poured out this very costly ointment for the purpose of anointing and preparing Jesus for burial. It was so pure, it was so potent, that this ointment could be used to even cover up the stink of death itself. Jesus kept saying over and over again that He was going to die for them, remember? And the disciples kept trying to ignore, they kept trying to deny what Jesus was saying. They couldn't imagine a Messiah that wouldn't militarily conquer, but die. Messiahs don't die. But Mary listened to Jesus and she believed Him. She didn't understand, but she believed Him. And so she purposed to use the best, the most costly perfume to anoint His body for burial. Okay. Okay let's think further about what Mary did. If you knew someone, perhaps your best friend. Let's say you have this amazing best friend that's walked with you through the thick and thin of life. They've been there through the weddings of your life and the funerals of your life. You have to go to the doctor one day and you find out that your kidney is failing. and Unless you have a kidney transplant soon, you're going to die. And your faithful best friend is once again there and they offer you their kidney. And as you're laying there side by side in the recovery room, tears fill your eyes at the faithfulness of your friend, at the love that they have for you. And you make your way to the side of their bed and you grab a hold of their hand and just tears uncontrollably falling down your face. You just say, thank you, thank you. For saving my life. It's an amazing moment. But let me tell you what you won't do. You won't then go to their feet and start crying on their feet and start wiping their feet with your hair. You wouldn't do that. Why wouldn't you do that? If your friend needed $85,000, your friend that has just saved your life, you you wouldn't have any problems giving that kind of money. You wouldn't hesitate giving you all your stuff. But would you then bow down before them and start cleaning their feet with your hair and worshiping them? No, you wouldn't. I wouldn't. Why not? Because as wonderful as your best friend is and the incredible thing that they have just done for you, they aren't worthy to be worshipped. Do you see what I'm saying? Just because someone saved your life doesn't mean they're deserving of your worship. They may be deserving of lots of things, but not worship. So why did Mary do what she did? Church, this shows us that Mary didn't just believe that Jesus was an incredible man that was going to die for her. Otherwise, the act of pouring out the alabaster flask would have been plenty. But why did she then proceed to bow down and wash Jesus' feet with her hair and worship him? Because she believed he was the God-man. She believed that He was the God-man that wasn't just going to die, but rise again from the dead. In fact, Mary knew this from experience when Jesus stood before the tomb of her dead brother Lazarus and He commanded, Lazarus, come forth! And He does. And each day after that, as she saw her brother Lazarus walking around the house, she knew that Jesus was no mere man but that He was God in the flesh who had power over life and death and sin and hell. Why did Mary do what she did? Because she had a proper view of Jesus. You see, what you're able to give Jesus shows how you view Jesus. What you're able to offer Jesus is what really reveals who you think He is to you. Because what He was able to offer you shows you very clearly who you are to Him, right? What we're able to offer Jesus, give Jesus, is what truly reveals who He is to us, how we truly view Him. So how do you see Jesus? just as a good friend, best friend even. Someone who's there whenever you need Him. Someone you could always call on when you're in trouble. Someone that you could ask if there's anything you ever need. If Jesus is all of that for you, you'll have no problems offering Jesus lots of things, $85,000 even. Let me ask you a question, church. Do you see Jesus as your God the one who is the resurrection and the life. I want you to think about this. I heard this illustration. It kind of blew my mind. The distance between the earth and the sun. The distance between the earth and the sun is 93 million miles. And if that 93 million miles was represented by the thickness of a single sheet of paper, 93 million miles, single sheet of paper, The distance from here to the next nearest star would be represented by, what do you think? A stack of papers 70 feet high. And just the width of this galaxy, our galaxy, would be represented by a stack of papers 310 miles high. Just our little galaxy. And there are an estimated 200 billion galaxies in the observable universe. The universe that Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus Christ upholds with the word of His power. What do you do with such a person? What do you do with such a person? How do you treat this kind of a person? Do you say, you can have that, but you can't have this. This is off-limits. Do you say, okay, fine, I'll give, I'll tithe, but only after taxes, not before, that's crazy. Do you say, okay, fine, I'll stop talking bad about them, but I refuse to forgive them, I just can't. Do you, see, do you, do you say, I'll believe what you're saying here in the Bible, that you're just a God of love, I like that. But this other stuff where you try to limit my expression of sexuality, marriage, and gender, I don't like that. I don't believe that. You don't have the right to tell anybody that. Many of us have an improper view of Jesus, a best friend view of Jesus, perhaps. You believe that Jesus is a person that really loves you and has died for you. And this might produce tear-filled thank yous. As you sing worship songs and tears fill your eyes, you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm really worshiping Him right now. But it's not worship until you actually offer your very self. Gratitude alone falls short of true worship. Until you say, here I am. Not just here's all my stuff. Here I am, all of me. Jesus, I will go wherever you tell me to go. Until you say, Jesus, I will do whatever you tell me to do and I'll believe all that is written in your word to be good and true and right. It's not true worship until you're willing to say, I'm laying down my preferences. I'm surrendering my wants and desires. I'm breaking my alabaster flask and saying, Jesus, here's all of me, my soul, my life, my all. All of me. I'm not holding back anything. It's not worship until we get to that place. Mary shows us the only way to properly respond to this kind of a person. And the last question how was she able to do it? Or asked in another way how did Mary come to have this proper view of Jesus that enabled her to do what she did? We get a glimpse of how in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with such much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. He says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So we see Mary throughout the Gospels continually at the feet of Jesus. Here in Luke chapter 10, Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, hanging on to His every word, learning from Him, And being taught by Him. We see Mary again in John chapter 11 when her brother Lazarus stashed. She throws herself at Jesus' feet and weeps. And today in Matthew chapter 26, as she anoints His feet with perfume in worship, we see that this is the constant position of Mary. Mary is continually to be found, whether it's in learning or grieving or serving in worship, she is at the feet of Jesus all the while being transformed by Him, all the while getting a fuller and fuller and fuller picture of who He is until it becomes the most natural thing in all the world to offer Jesus her everything. So you see, after looking at what Mary did, our application can't be, okay, I'm going to do that too. I'm going to give Jesus everything that I have, all that I am, I'm going to give Him too. That may sound well and good, but you'll never make it that way. You'll never persevere. You may even offer it. You've you've offered it before, but then soon later, I, I, I take it back, right? You have to see how Mary got there. Mary couldn't have done what she did on day one of meeting Jesus, right? Hi, Jesus, nice to meet you. Here's everything. We have to see how she got there. Mary devoted herself to sit at Jesus' feet. She regularly sat at His feet. So our application today isn't anything daunting. Our application isn't go give Jesus your everything. Our application is go and sit at His feet. Jesus said it's the one thing that's necessary. When you wake up each day and contemplate all the things that you have to do, all the things that are on your to-do list, what are you thinking? Are you thinking, man, lots of things, I can't do all that, so I'll just do this. Well, even here, if I had to give up some things, so if you boil it down, if you boil down your day to, well, even if I can't do anything else, this is the one thing that's necessary. What is that one thing that's necessary for you every day of your life? Well, Jesus tells us every day, the one thing that's necessary. Jesus isn't saying every day you wake up, go go do all these things for me. He's saying there's one thing that's necessary to go sit at his feet. Go and sit at his feet. Not doing and accomplishing, but sitting. Doing and accomplishing is important, but first you have to sit. Many of you are running around doing and accomplishing, but you've forgotten how to sit. You've forgotten how to sit. You've forgotten how to just sit at his feet and listen, and just be with him. And hear Him speak to you through His Word as you speak back to Him in prayer. Go and sit at His feet and you'll come to realize that He isn't first asking you to give Him your life, but He's inviting you to see that He first gave His life for you. Go and sit at His feet and you'll come to realize that He isn't first asking you to love Him, but He's showing you all the ways that He has first loved you go and sit at His feet and you'll come to realize that Jesus isn't first asking you to break your alabaster flask for Him, but He's showing you that on the cross, it was Him. It was Him who was truly broken and was poured out for you. So right now, you may not be able to do what Mary did, but it's okay. Just go and sit at His feet. But let me close by telling you what the reward will be. What the reward will be for doing what Mary did. Just six days after, just six days after being anointed by Mary, Jesus would be crucified. And I want you to think about this and wonder with me. I wonder, as Jesus was dying for the sins of His people, as He was beaten beyond recognition, As he's hanging there on the cross, the full weight of his body, the full weight of our sins stayed by the rusty iron nails in his hands and in his feet. And as he was breathing in, one painful breath after another, I wonder what he was breathing in. I wonder if he was breathing in the gift of Mary, that costly ointment of pure nard still lingering in his hair, in his beard, and in his skin. And I wonder if he could smell the lingering gift of Mary's love. And I wonder if there, even on the cross, it brought him strength and encouragement and peace. That's the view to our reward. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that we are a pleasing aroma of Christ to God. That when it came to God and us, our God, He did not hold back. He was lavish. He was extravagant. He gave everything. In Jesus, don't you see, He gave us everything that He had. In Jesus, don't you see, He gave us everything that He is. He didn't hold back. On the cross, Jesus was the true alabaster flask that was broken. He Himself was broken and poured out on us, for us. And so if you're in Christ today, there ought to be a lingering smell of Jesus about you. And so no matter what you're going through today, no matter the pain, no matter the loss, no matter the sadness, no matter what difficulty, the aroma that comes from the offering of the cross... It should strengthen us. It should encourage you and give you peace. So let's join Mary at the feet of Jesus. The one thing that's necessary, go and sit at his feet and ask him to change us and transform us to see more and more and more of Jesus so that more and more we can say, Jesus, you are better. Jesus, you are better. Let's pray together. So Father, we ask you once again to do that which only you can do. Will you open the eyes of our hearts that we might see Jesus, that we might behold Jesus, that we might see his value, so that we might see his worth. So, Father, I pray for our church, every single one of us, including myself, Lord. Walking away from today and heading into next week. Each day, every day, will you call us to the feet of Jesus? Looking at and considering the long list of things to do. Help us to look at the one thing that is necessary. To go meet with your son to see his value, to see his worth, to see his beauty, and to be transformed by it all. Help us to see that Jesus is better. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.